Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at how to build bridges to promote communication and better understanding amongst various peoples in the United States and around the world. My guest today has written a very interesting book on this topic. Mr. Nathan Bomey is an award-winning business reporter for USA Today, and he's the author of Detroit Resurrected, To Bankruptcy and Back. His most recent book is Bridge Builders, Bringing People Together in a Polarized Age. Nathan Bomey, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being with me today. That, that title is captivating. It, it says it all to some degree. But let me ask you, why, why did you decide we, to write this book and why do we need it at this particular juncture in our lives? Well, to, well, to be honest, Bill, uh, this actually stems from the second called After the Fact, which was essentially about the age of misinformation, why people believe things that aren't true, and how that's you know, hurting our society. And so I walked away from that book having thoroughly convinced myself that we are so deeply entrenched in this, uh, this deeply polarized culture that I'm not sure there's much we can do about it. And then you add that on top of the fact that as a national journalist, I see on a day-to-day basis how divided people are. I see the rhetoric, I cover it, I talk to people who are just so angry and, and hateful toward each other that, you know, com- combined those things made me think, you know, I just don't know if there's much we can do. And so I said at some point, I've got to meet people who are not accepting the status quo. I've got to go out and talk to people who are bringing people together despite their differences, whether it's politics, race, religion, class, or culture. And so I did, I went out, I talked to people throughout the country, and I I knew we could learn from them. Regardless of their differences, we could draw insights and how we can begin to move this nation forward and find common ground. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about some of those people. I'm glad you're finding them because we certainly need them today. But let me ask you, are there certain characteristics that these folks possess? Are there certain traits or skills, maybe is a better way to put it, that they need to have to promote a better uh, form of communication, understanding, and uh, ability to understand the other person's particular position and to either adapt a little bit to it or to engage in a meaningful conversation. Yeah, you know, I think there's a there's several things. I think I'd start with bridge builders acknowledge the past about it, they don't idealize it in the sense that they're not going to pretend like things didn't happen. They're going to understand them and that's going to guide how they work through these problems and work through these divides going forward. I'd also say that, you know, bridge builders, they embrace conflict. There is this criticism of bridge building that people who do it are somehow avoiding conflict, that it's some sort of hunky-dory sort of uh, approach to life. No, the reality is that people who are bridging divides will embrace the conflict. The question is, how do you approach it? You can confront without being 
confrontational. And I think that, you know, bridge builders, uh, they see ignorance. They don't, they're not ignorant of ignorance, but they view different people differently in the sense that they see nuance and they understand that if you label people, then that's going to be counterproductive to your attempts to reach them. And lastly, I'd say that bridge builders, they listen intently and they actually listen when a lot of other people would speak because they understand that when you show someone that you're invested in them, you're invested in who they are and you care about them, then they'll start to care about you as well. And then you can actually start to make progress on things like policies that you may disagree on. Are there some examples of what we call exemplary or outstanding bridge builders, people who are really trying to bridge the divide and to promote this, this meaningful dialogue? Yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of people I've featured in the book who I could point to, but one I would really highlight is a group called Coming to the Table, which is a national nonprofit. They have affiliates in dozens of cities throughout the country where they essentially organize conversations on a weekly or monthly basis between people basically who come together to talk about the legacy of slavery. And their board is about half people who are descended from people who were enslavers and about half people who are descended from people who were enslaved. And so they, they realize that this is that conversation and restorative justice are a way to help begin to launch these conversations that need to be had if we're going to start to address some of these racial divides in the country. And I found it to be a very dynamic group where I got to attend a, a one of their conversations and see how people actually listen to each other. And for the first time, in a, in many white people actually sit down and understand and listen and invest in Black Americans who have had their stories um, suppressed for so long. Now, does this group, not to just single it out, but it sounds like a really an outstanding group, but do they focus primarily on racial issues or do they cover the waterfront? Do they talk about climate change? They talk about gender equity, a variety of other issues, or is it specifically on uh, racial harmony? You know, they focus primarily on race, but I think you can't address racism and the history of social injustice without addressing all those other things because of the intersectionality of the society we live in. The fact that all these things intersect at some point, you can't talk about climate change without talking about how it disproportionately affects people of color, for example. And so I think that that kind of conversation is really central because a lot of times racism, of course, systemic racism, um, you know, it comes about in ways in which a lot of white people in particular don't understand because if it's this system that you've seen forever, then you, you just simply don't see it. And so you need conversations with between people of difference to help you uh, elucidate those differences. And I, I think that's the central thread of this book, Bill, is that you have to have between people who are different from each other if you want to build bridges. Because if we stay isolated, it, we're going to just remain in this segregated country, segregated by race, by politics, by wealth, and certainly by geographic differences as well. So I think that kind of, you know, basically bashing those barriers is the way to begin to make progress. Now, there are many contentious issues that we're dealing with today. And one of the biggest, and it's actually getting worse, and it's not because of any one person per se, or one group, but is the whole issue of climate change. And this is happening, the scientific evidence is overwhelming that the, the, the earth is changing and it's changing in the wrong direction in many areas. Do, did you encounter very many groups or individuals who were either climate change deniers or were people who really believed in climate change and wanted to try to implement policies to hopefully not negate or 
really turn back climate change, but maybe just to adapt to it. Yeah, you know, one of the most dynamic stories in this book is a story of, about a guy named Bob Inglis, who is a former Republican congressman from the state of South Carolina. He himself professes to be one of the most tried and true Republicans who you could have. I mean, he's a former, uh, you know, representative from Spartanburg uh, in uh, Greensville. You know, this is really one of the reddest parts of the country. When he was in Congress, he was for the mo- for the longest time a climate change denier. He was completely opposed to not only the science, but also certainly any action on climate change. But over time, relationships between himself, his family, and other Christians, fellow Christians, in particular, a scientist in Australia who he met and showed him how it was affecting coral reefs, which was the creation of God, is ended up changing his mind and helping him see the, the reality of climate change. So now Bob Inglis has become a, uh, basically a disciple for the need to help convince other conservatives to do things about climate change. And he's got tens of thousands of people in his group called Republic N-E-N um, to basically say to their representatives, no, we can show you how the values of conservatism are actually aligned with the values of doing something on climate change. You don't need to change who you are as a person. That's a much bigger ask. No, we will show you how the values of conservatism, which is about taking personal responsibility for the actions that people take, people have taken in it, for example, you know, emitting uh, emissions. That's something that you know maybe we need to take personal responsibility for. And Bob English sends that message to fellow conservatives. I think it's interesting because he's actually building bridges among his own people. This might be a good point to interject your previous book that you referenced a few minutes ago. And that is the after the fact, the erosion of truth and the inevitable rise of Donald Trump. Uh, talk a little bit about the focus of that particular book. What was the main thrust and the, the message yeah. you were trying to convey? Yeah, the premise is essentially that we are immersed in this society of misinformation and that that set the stage for Donald Trump to become president. It wasn't necessarily the other way around. Now, certainly, you know, President Trump exacerbated the crisis of misinformation to a great extent. But the point of that book was to show how the the pieces were in place, essentially, for someone who would dramatically skew the facts and blatantly lie to rise to power. And so that kind of gave me this really deep-seated understanding of how we can't just assume that the facts are going to win the day. I wish they were. You know, as a journalist, that's what my life is committed to, is to, you know, articulating the facts, reporting the truth. I wish that that was enough to bring people together but it's not. It's really how we communicate those facts and how we use trusted relationships to do that. And so that's what I had an opportunity to do in this new book, Bridge Builders, is to talk about how we can help people reconnect with the truth. There seems to be a natural bridge between the two, between the two books. Yeah. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a community access television or a PBS station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows and you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service 
to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at a very interesting book on how to build bridges of communication. My guest is an expert on this book and on this topic. Mr. Nathan Bomey is an award-winning business reporter for USA Today and the author of Detroit Resurrected to Bankruptcy and Back. His most recent book is Bridge Builders, Bringing People Together in a Polarized Age. Nathan, we're talking about building bridges and you talk, a minute ago, you mentioned misinformation, disinformation. That's what's really very troubling to a large number of people, people like yourself, myself, people who are journalists, uh, who are in the media, uh, people who are in all different walks of life. The, the disinformation, misinformation, outright lies have just reached the apex, I think, in this country. Uh, at no time in, in my lifetime, anyway, have I ever seen so much misinformation. Have you? Yeah, I think we're overwhelmed with it. And I think, you know, social media has obviously uh, you know, dramatically expanded the, the crisis. And, you know, it's uh, my, my whole second book, like I mentioned earlier, was really talking about how the social media companies and their values, which is engagement, have collided with the values of journalists, which was the truth. And the reality was, is that a lot of people aren't yet used to or trained on the, the how to discern the facts from fiction, especially in this online environment. And so if we aren't trained to do it, I think that it's going to, it's tough to expect people to do it. These are the basic principles of journalism. What, who, what, where, when, and why, how do you validate facts? How do you authenticate information? That's actually a skill. It's a professional skill and it's difficult. People's lives are, are crazy. And so a lot of people have a hard time with this. And then of course you add in the actors who are purposely you know, spreading the misinformation and disinformation. And that just makes matters worse. Mm -hmm. And what you've just delineated is very logical, is very factual, is very professional as to how to deal with this problem. But we do have a large number of people in this country who have bought into this myth about fake news. News doesn't matter. Even when they see videos, uh, you mentioned Donald Trump a minute ago, they've had videos of Donald Trump saying one thing and the people, many of his followers saying, well, that's all fake news. It doesn't happen. It didn't happen. He didn't say it. It's right there on the video. Did right. you encounter very much of that? Oh, certainly. And I think that this is uh, something we simply can't fix overnight. I you know I think that um, there are you know lies about the election, for example, uh, this accusation that there is there was some massive fraud in the election. Those are false. That's a fact. Though those are lies. We can't get around that. Um, but there are some, you know, some uh, points of dispute in this country in which there is room for perspective. And on those particular issues, we have to understand the difference between perspective and lies. And so, you know, I, I think the problem is that if we live in this very tribalistic culture where no, each side never talks to the other side, the chances that the facts are going to be the, what breaks through, that's never going to happen. You know, we, 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 can, we can lobby facts and lobby opinion from each side all we want. It's not going to it's not going to help unless you leverage trusted relationships and you end up kind of breaking down those tribal barriers and help and have people start to connect with each other on a personal basis. Then maybe we can get the facts across. And of course, it's one thing to argue with one another, to debate issues, to debate policies, to lobby arguments back and forth. But when they turn violent, which they did, we saw on January 6th that several thousand, well, I don't know exactly how many, four or 5,000 of Donald Trump's supporters uh, who were invited and incited 
by Donald Trump to come to Washington. And we saw them physically attack the US Capitol in an attempt to overthrow a free election. They've been classified as insurgents. Many others have said they're terrorists or however you wanna say it, they're, they're dangerous in many respects. But they're still, this has turned into a very dangerous situation. But how do we defuse that? We, uh, no one, well, I'm going to say no one, but some people do want it to be dangerous. They do want confrontation. They do want conflict. They do want physical violence. But I, I'm saying, I think the majority of Americans do not. How can we defuse that over and above buying your book and reading it and taking it to heart? <laughs> well, I, I, it's a tall order. I, I think, you know, and I, I'm not sure I have all the answers, but I will say this, two things. I think that we need our leaders in technology to continue to step up. I think Twitter deciding to take Donald Trump's uh, account away has certainly led to, you know, dialing back the volume a little bit on social media. And especially, you know, the data actually already shows misinformation has dropped significantly since Donald Trump was banned, Donald Trump was banned from Twitter. So that's one thing. On a personal level, how do we how do we address this? Again, I think it's investing in people's lives and beginning to actually sort of try to listen to people, even if you don't understand, even if you don't agree. Now, their hate, we don't we don't listen to hate. You know that that we don't do that. But when there's perspective, I think we can listen to that, and then we can invest in people and show them. No, here's what here's what things look like from my perspective, Bill. Here here's the analogy I would give. If you and I are at a game and we're in the stadium, if I'm on one side and I see the play on the field and have perspective on what happened. If I go, I go over to you, you're on the other side of the stadium. You saw the same play and we saw the same outcome. Um, but you may see a, an angle that I didn't see. Uh, maybe the referee, <laughs> referee didn't see either. And that's why he or she missed the call. But um, the point is that unless I go to your side of the stadium, I'm not going to be able to see your perspective. And even if I still think you're wrong, I'm not going to be able to understand you. And so I think that's where there's, there is room for perspective on some issues. Never room for perspective on, perspective on things like hate. But there is room for perspective on something like middle class taxes or other issues. There, there is room for debate. And there are certainly many policies that are open for debate. And there should be a healthy debate. <laughs> I don't think anybody's arguing one tried and true way to develop a policy and to implement it and to carry it forward for eons and eons. And you're absolutely right. There is plenty of room. One other very concerning thing to me, and I know to many other people too in, the, in our profession, is the fact that you, you were talking about the lie, the big lie, basically, that Donald Trump and many of his supporters put out saying the election was corrupt, which every, every Republican Secretary of State that I can think of said it wasn't. Uh, they went to courts over 60 times. I think he won one. He lost 60 other cases, but on and on, but just kept saying it was a lie. It was a lie. And then people showed up at the Capitol and they really got very violent and uh, very destructive. But there are also media outlets that are encouraging this. I mean, they're, they're totally unprofessional. And I just really, I wonder, should they even be classified as a media outlet of, of, of journalism, let's say, professional news? And the three that come to mind are Newsmax, One America, and Fox. They've yeah. all turned in nothing but propaganda arms from what I've seen. And what all the evidence shows that they're just really putting out right-wing uh, lunacy uh, theories, conspiracy theories, and that type of thing. Should they even be classified as journalists? Maybe they should just start a, um, I don't know, some kind of a PAC or a political action committee and raise money for candidates they like or something. 
Well, I do think that there's a big difference between propaganda and journalism. And unfortunately, because of the way that journalism has faced this this significant financial crisis over the years, um, we a lot of journalists have turned into bad actors, and I think have have started to dabble in the world of propaganda, like you mentioned. And so it's a huge challenge. And you know, um, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I, there's no way to regulate this, and we nor should we regulate it in that perspective. Obviously, we have the freedom of the press in this country, but um, but no, I, I think it's a huge crisis. And you know, again, I think it comes back to how we need to really be careful about our information diet in this country, and we need to talk about it on our in our schools talk about how you have a personal responsibility as a citizen in this country to basically try to you know build a, a media diet for yourself that makes you a responsible citizen and how do you sort fact from fiction basic skills that a lot of people don't have and so we can start to integrate that into our schools and we see how this is playing inside the united states domestically but the United States has been a leader in many areas for years in the area of human rights, promotion of democracy, uh, prior to Trump in the area of cl uh, climate change, that type of thing. How does all of these dysfunctional activities that people overseas are viewing look at us and how does it impede our ability to again be a leader in this area and to work effectively with groups like NATO, with European Union, the United Nations agencies and on across the board? Well, international relations is a little bit beyond my pay grade, but I would say that, you know, I, there's no question that the U.S.'s status in many parts of the world has been diminished in recent years. Uh, and the question is, what do we do about it and, and who is doing something about it? And I, I talked to an organization called the Iraqi and American Reconciliation Project, which is an organization based in Minneapolis, formed by peacemaking folks in the city of Minneapolis about a decade ago in the aftermath of the second Iraq war, basically to try to stitch together the bonds of trust between Iraqis and Americans in the wake of this war. And it's fascinating when you talk to them because you would think of all the things that would make it impossible to build bridges, it would be war, you know, because at least at the very least in this country, we've had pretty bad divides in the last several months and years, but we have not had a civil war. And But you have seen war, of course, between the US and, and Iraq. We, had, we invaded the country of Iraq and did significant damage to the people there. And they were, you know, many lives destroyed. And yet I talked to an Iraqi dermatologist who told me he still believes that there's love in the heart of everyone and that you simply have to polish it and bring it to the surface is what he said. And he believes that if you can invest in those kinds of relationships where you, you sit down at the table and you start to understand someone's culture and start to understand their perspectives, even if their politics are different, they can still build bridges. And Bill, I'd point to history on this. You look at what happened with, between Japan and America between after World War II, Japan and America are today. Bridges can be built despite the, the terrible divides that have been there in the past. Well, Nathan Bomey, that was a perfect way to sum it up and to give all of our viewers food for thought and action to take. And that's exactly what we're looking for. But again, I want to congratulate you on your book, Bridge Builders, Bringing People Together in a Polarized Age. Nathan Bomey, thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.